Welcome to the Michelle Miao Show, your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between. So, yes, I think somebody had asked me earlier, are, you know, uh, straight folks welcome? And, of course, you're part of the spectrum. You're the in-between. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I'm excited that you're all here and spending Halloween with us tonight at the Commonwealth Club. Uh, we do have... A very fitting program, if you think about um, what is spooky. What is spooky about their story? Well, the fact that they ended their service serving the United States in, in uh, you know, basically January of 2017, which meant the inauguration of uh, current president. We'll talk about that later. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's just a it's just a day that is spooky. And then you look forward to another day. I mean, some of news headlines today will will give you some hope that when there are such corrupt forces in leadership, there are ways around it in which you could break protocol. Whoa. <laughs> that, Way to go. How, in. how we circle back into work that. that in. Yep. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> well, here to talk about talk to us about their experiences in serving as diplomats of the United States to the Dominican Republic um, is Bob Sadawake, who is the author of Breaking Protocol. And he shares his experience as husband to his husband, yes, thank you. <laughs> thank you. former U.S. ambassador of the United States to the Dominican Republican, Republic, uh, Wally Brewster. So, Bob, Wally, welcome to the program, and my co-host, John Zipper. Yeah, welcome. thank you all. Well, thank you well, for having us. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, Michelle. It's wonderful to be here. John, thank you. Um, I uh, clearly, um, I know I'm not uh, a person of real notoriety, but... Obviously, uh, Halloween's very important to San Franciscans, uh, but uh, I am so happy all of you are here. So thank you very much. <laughs> I, I wish I don't know if you ever, you know, participated in the Castro on Halloween a few years back when the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence hosted. But it, it probably was bigger than a pride parade at some point, And now yeah. it is what it is. I've, uh, I've, Two for one beers. I feel like I'm a little old for that these days. <laughs> but, uh, I need a I need a guided um, uh, a bus to take me through maybe a trolley tour of the Castro. <laughs> that would be really good tonight. A trolley tour of the Castro. That would work. Well, let's let, let's take a tour of, you know, everything that you mentioned in your incredible book. I had such a wonderful time reading all 159 pages within a, a couple hours. I accidentally packed you up because I'm moving. So I was running around. Where the F is Bob? And then I found Bob. And then I was like, Bob, here he is. And Thank here you, you are in San Francisco. It's tradition here on the show that we ask um, our LGBTQ guests who are public and comfortable to share a coming out story. And I know that you included yours very briefly in the book. And, you know, there's sounds like it was out of college, maybe first job serving as a flight attendant, American Airlines, Texas, um, and, uh, and, uh, and a, a little bit of meeting, you know, Wally, but I'm not going to tell a story you do. And then I'm curious <laughs> to hear Wally's. Sure. Um, well, well, my coming out experience, I don't think was probably unlike, was really that unique. I, I wouldn't say, uh, in the respect that I had gotten to a place in my life where I was making my own money. I had a job. Um, I had my own place to live, was paying my own bills. So I felt relatively comfortable at that point making my own decisions in life. And I think it was just, I'd, I had never really been to gay bars. I kind of observed, I think it's lack of a better term, but kind of observed from a distance these gay bars, but never really dived you know, actually going out and having a night on the town and drinking and being with gay people. And so the first time I did that, uh, it happened to be in Texas. Um, and I grew up in a really small little country town in the middle of eastern Oklahoma and not a real refined community. Um, no judgment, but just not a real refined community. And um, I walk into this place called the Roundup where there are these cowboys who are gay. And uh, <laughs> I was like, damn. Not the all right. killer, like an 
No. You know, yeah, I was they're like, rounded, they're like they're me. Rolling. Yeah. And I was <laughs> like, okay, I can do this. And um, <laughs> uh, so I did. And at that point, I was, I, it, it still, I think, you know, I, everybody has their own journey and certainly has their own path. And, and as I did mine, and, and I, it wasn't, it wasn't just like I embraced it overnight, but I also was at a place where I knew definitely I was comfortable being in my own skin at that point. So who'd you tell first? Oh, that's an interesting, well, that's a very simple story, but an interesting story. So one of my best friends from work, a fellow flight attendant, I remember Sherry Snyder, I called her, I, oh, I probably shouldn't have said that out loud. Uh, anyway, well, <laughs> she wouldn't care. Um, I called her, uh, we used to run around together constantly, and I called her up and I said, I've really got to talk to you. It's very important. It's, it's very urgent. And, uh, you know, because it's so dramatic and it's like uh, clearly the biggest thing ever to happen in, on earth. And, uh, or you think it is clearly nobody really cares, but, um, I called her up and I said, we've got to meet. And we used to go to this place, um, on the border. That's the name of this place on the border. They're great chips and margaritas. <laughs> and so went on the border and we're sitting in this booth and I'm dancing around it like Fred Astaire. And I'm, and I said, you know, I, I just I just don't know how to tell you. I don't know how to tell you. She's like, you know, just I mean, the whole time knowing, like seriously. And uh, then these like, and I am not a crier at all, but man, these big old crocodile tears just started pouring down my face, <laughs> and I was just like, ugh, I was boohooing like no tomorrow. Aww. But then she just, I didn't even, it never really even came out. She just put her hand across the table and grabbed mine. She says, honey, we all know, and we just love you. And that's all it took. And then I never cried about it since. Wow. That was about it. <laughs> we had our chips and margaritas and probably had two or three at that point. And, yeah. Wally. You know, mine wasn't that, uh, that much different in a lot of ways. I, um, it, it was fun, something that I never really struggled with. It just all of a sudden came to the front of my uh, being right after college. So uh, actually in my senior year, I began to realize that the reasons why I wanted to stay around my fraternity brothers and not date uh, the women that uh, were our little sisters, uh, which what everybody else was doing. And so I was blessed that I was able to move to Dallas with my first job. And at that point, um, Dallas was in the early 80s and still is a thriving gay community. So it didn't take me long uh, to find where the gay bars were uh, after just knowing the streets that it was supposed to be on. And, and after that, it, it pretty much, uh, I met a lot of great friends and um, I really did not have a struggle. I remember the only, the first time my family, we really discussed it, and, which was rather funny, is my sister who I adore, we were driving to my aunt's house one night, and she looked at me and said, is Bob gay? <laughs> I was like, well, yeah, and so am I. I mean, and that was it. She said, oh, good, good. Well, we, that's, that's wonderful. But that was their way of asking because we had never had the, the conversation. But we're blessed that both sets of parents have always been amazing, and uh, we came from fairly liberal families, awesome. even though small towns. Thanks for sharing. John. Well, it, thanks for bringing in the, the whole family issue because, I mean, Bob, I would, I'm guessing, correct me if I'm wrong, the most difficult part of writing that book maybe was the early stuff where you're talking about growing up in, I forget the name of the town now, Hy Hyacinth or? <laughs> that would be a gay town. <laughs> um, <laughs> Henrietta. Hen okay. <laughs> Started with an H. I, I, I have one letter right. Um, but if you could, I mean, tell folks a bit about what it was like and because this kind of comes into you getting yourself into a place where you were taking more control of your life. So um, interesting question in the respect that I had never intended on sharing any level of that part of my life mm -hmm. uh, in a public forum and, and certainly not in print that will live in perpetuity, I assume. Um, I, I'd written about probably 60% of the book at, and all of it based around the fact that to me, at least this experience that of how our experience began with the Obama administration and then serving in the Dominican Republic and, and all those experiences that we had to me, that was rather interesting. I didn't really know if it was really going to be interesting to anybody else, but, uh, I thought, yeah, all right, there's, I think there's a story here. And um, 
So I had about 60% of the book written. And at that point, I knew that the only way I was ever going to get it into print was to start reaching out to the literary community and find some professionals that could help me along the way. So I, I did find a professional writing coach. And um, so she fortunately was very supportive in the respect she felt like that it the the book had taken form that there was a place to go with it mm -hmm. and we continued working together and we got about 20 percent more of the book written so now we're at about 80 percent done and uh, it was time to bring in the editor and i really have to credit the editor with this part of it because i remember specifically one night phyllis and i were on the phone and was always on the phone as well uh, but Phyllis and I specifically were talking about the last, really bringing the last 20% together. And she kept digging for personal information. She's like, there's really got to be more here than just, you know, there's got to be a reason why this experience took place and what motivated this experience. And and I feel there's more here than, than you're telling. Mm -hmm. And um, so it was almost like therapy in some ways that... We just kept having these conversations over and over and over again. And little by little, I, she'd ask me some questions and I would say a couple of things here and there. She goes, well, I really need to know more about that. And I'm like, well, I'm happy to talk with you about that, but I'm certainly not going to write about this. That's just not going to happen. Mm -hmm. And, uh, well, I mean, and, and there's a lot that I didn't share, but, um, and I can't say that I'm entirely comfortable with some of the stuff that I did share, but. I, I do believe it was necessary to uh, position our experience of there's there's always hope and there's motivation behind whatever is happening in your world that it will this too shall pass so to speak and and fortunately I, I do feel very blessed that and I can talk a lot about that but very blessed that along the way there was fear. If you're mindful and you're hopeful and you're willing to accept uh, generosity, there's people in the world that are more than willing to extend their hand to you. Hmm. Um, so, um, yeah, so we worked on that and we got the book done. And uh, and so, yeah. Well, I, you know, I really appreciate the book, by the way, because, <laughs> well, one, um, you're right. You know, we haven't heard from many gay couples who are serving the United States at this level and then to go outside of the country and serve openly. Um, so I learned a whole lot. So let's get right into it. Um, the interesting thing is that, you know, I took a line out of the book and uh, there was a part in which you talked about, you know, you and Wally are coming back from a trip and you say to Wally, hey, if you want to be, you know, an ambassador to the Dominican Republic, we can make that happen. And there was just a lot of things that came up for me where it was like, well, so how did it, I know that you both had done a whole lot in contributing to civic duty, um, engaged with President Obama's campaign and his election and LGBTQ rights and marriage equality. But how did it get to a place where you were, you know, you, 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 that it was that specific, that it was going to be Wally who was going to be ambassador, not you, even though, in, you know, you start the book out with uh, explaining your interest in politics and civic engagement. Who are you asking? Both of you. <laughs> How did that happen? Why Wally? Or why wasn't it you? Or both of you, you were going to be the, if we were going to put, you know, gender on it, which is what normally happens, right? When yeah. in politics, there's the husband and then there's a wife or spouse, yeah. right? And then, then, you know, the usually it's the male or the husband who goes out and then he's the one waving and doing the uh, whole political stuff and then the, the wife. I'll just say this real yeah. quick. Mm -hmm. I, the reason that comment was made and the reason I put it in the book is because it was a very specific and monumental t experience that we were having at that moment. Um, and I write about it in the book, but I'll just say this. There is, there is nothing that you can't make happen. If you really want to make it happen, there is nothing you can't make happen. Um, yeah, you'll fail. Um, and, and things can be extremely hard. And sometimes you may not want it enough. And sometimes wanting it enough may not be enough. But if you really, I firmly believe if you really, really want something to happen, you have the power to make it happen. So that's why I said that. And I did say that to him. Yeah. 
But did you already have conversations that you were going to be uh, United no, States ambassador? Not really. not really. I mean, yeah. we had uh, we have great friends uh, who used to play down the street for San Francisco, Moises Alou, uh, who was a baseball player for for San Francisco as well. That we lived next to in the uh, when we lived in Chicago, who was a Cubs player at the time. And we had been visiting down there and already had a home down in the Dominican Republic because of Major League Baseball. And so we loved the country. And I remember with the two of them, we drove by the embassy one day, which is where the residence was. And she made the comments how beautiful the gardens were and things. And I had never really thought about it. And then as the Obama campaign was coming back to Chicago for the first time in history that a reelect had not been in D.C., um, and here we were living. I just came out of the corporate environment. Bob had his own company. Um, we really started thinking about it and thought, what is our next step? But the most important thing that I want to make sure that that we share and uh, is that it wasn't specifically about the position as we said, you know, people have died for our rights. And if President Obama doesn't get reelected, we will never see marriage in our lifetime. And this month we're celebrating our 30th year together. So to think that that would never happen... Thank you. Thank you. I think that would never happen is something. And so we had this really tough conversation with each other about, um, you know, are we willing to um, work as hard as anybody else could? Because we knew at the time we thought there would be only one person um, out of the LGBT community that might be chosen because there had only been three in the history prior and, and then one serving at the time. Two, are we willing to sacrifice potentially our complete financial stability because we knew we had to go all in financially and resource wise. Um, and three, you know, is this something that we're committed to uh, to make happen? And so that was that was it. And we said, you know what, it's it's worth knowing that we will do everything we could to make sure marriage happens. Mm. Um, and that was really the reason. And I think the drive behind it. And it's as Bob said, you make anything happen if if it's something that, you know, you you really need to have happen to change the world. And that's what happened with that. That's incredible. So, yeah. So we figured out strategy from there. So on the board of governors of the Commonwealth Club is James Hormel, Mm -hmm. who was the the first, first. uh, yeah, uh, he's the first one of the first. uh, Mm -hmm. He was the first. The The first, first, yes. But he was never uh, um, first openly gay uh, ambassador, U.S. ambassador. Thank you. Um, But he was never confirmed by the Senate. That's correct. Uh, in the book, Bob uh, explains that that whole process and what it was like going through. What was it like, Wally, for you going through it? How confident of this of successfully getting through it were you? And then there were some roadblocks thrown in there. It was, more, it was like dramatic roadblocks. Yeah. Yes. No, you yeah. know, we were. I think we were very confident because we had Senator Durbin and we had Senator Kane. We had so many people behind us, and we had you know all of our friends and family, and uh, we knew uh, the president and the vice president very well. Mm -hmm. We thought it was going to be something that we just sailed through quickly. Um, Yeah, we're pretty naive. Uh, I think that there was a lot of things that got in the way. Um, Obviously, you know, one being the cardinal statement of of, of calling calling me a faggot on TV. This is the cardinal Uh, of uh, the Dominican Republic. Republic. uh, I'm sorry. So the cardinal of the Dominican Republic... um, um, after President Obama announced his intent to nominate me on national TV, called me a faggot and said, my kind weren't welcome there. If I came, I would suffer and be forced to leave. And so we began to think, you know, is this going to give, uh, honestly, the Republican Party uh, conduit to say, you know what, uh, he doesn't belong there. Um, and then our own Senator Menendez, which we mentioned, I think Bob mentions in the book, um, was worried about some other issues that personally he wanted to have happen between him and uh, the Obama administration. And so he was holding everybody in the Western Hemisphere up. So it just was one thing that kept happening after another. Uh, and then we get to the day of the hearing, and that is the day that, the unfortunately, the woman drove with her baby um, and rammed the front of the White House. And so right as our hearing was starting, um, and we finally had made it through all these other barriers, um, you know, we were in lockdown mode and weren't even sure that confirmation was going to happen that day. Uh, or that our hearing was going to happen, um, but it all happened. It all happened, and and then, but yep. that's not the end of the roadblocks and the drama. I mean, <laughs> there was a lot of stuff that was happening in the Dominican Republic with 
the black protest and the cardinal going back to the cardinal and he is very homophobic and yeah i mean i really felt bob's words in the book in which um you didn't mince your words <laughs> and how you really felt about the car i mean he was it just seemed like he just made it you, before you even touch ground and moved there he had already made it horrible um let's you know for those who haven't read the book bob it, it, from the perspective of the spouse who's accompanying Wally, it's supposed to be the most incredible moment, right? right. Uh, you're confirmed, you're headed there, you're moving there, you're going to serve your country, but it really wasn't that easy. So despite all of those hurdles, um, I have to say, you know, and I, and I did my best to try to recognize this was, this was truly a village that made all this happen. There are so many people that were involved in this process. I mean, for literally a couple of years, uh, most of them being very close personal friends, two of them sitting in this room tonight, you know, that I could pick up the phone and I could call either one of them anytime and I could just talk. And yes, they thought I was insanely crazy but that's <laughs> but friends are if friends who will embrace you when they know you're doing things that are crazy are really good friends and that's okay they, they're they're fine with you being crazy um but they also i think probably had a clear image and i never really talked to anybody about this but i think our friends had a clearer image of what was taking place than we did we were so consumed into the process at that point when this whole business with the Cardinal came up and um, the Black Monday and um, the, all the other drama that he facilitated throughout the entire. And I just want to clarify, Black Monday basically was uh, an attempt to protest um, the nomination, confirmation, the nomination right, of, right. of uh, Wally here mm -hmm. as ambassador to the Dominican Republican from, from the United States. So, but, but it wasn't really that big of an, a protest. Well, what we later found out, what we later found out in a, in a, in a couple of uh, things to know, and this is what I love about Dominicans, is um, these people are extraordinary, wonderful, embracing people. And and anyone that, and and I shouldn't say anyone, the hundreds of folks that came to visit us over the course of the three and a half years that we were there discovered that. And they all left after coming there first with any reservations that they may have had what their experience was going to be, left with the impression of, oh, this cardinal gives this country a horribly bad name. And going back to your comment about me not missing words. And I want to be very clear here. I am not anti-Catholic in any way, and I'm certainly not anti-religion or anti-people of faith. I am a man of faith myself, and I'm very, very um, comfortable in what my faith is. And I'm more comfortable in, though I may not understand somebody else's faith, that they have the right to have that faith and to pray and to and to worship, and to whatever that means to them, for them to have that right to do that. Um, what I am anti are racist, homophobic bigots who utilize the platform of religion to hurt and marginalize other people. Yep. Exactly. And I am... And, and, and that is painful for me. I didn't enjoy, um, one, I didn't enjoy remaining silent for three and a half years in the Dominican Republic because I am clearly not a person of silence for those of you that know me very well. But I did because my job was to be a diplomat. My job was to make sure that we utilized whatever avenue we needed to utilize for the success of the relationship. And so therefore, we, we plus me, I mean, me specifically, remain silent. But I'm no longer that diplomat. And I don't believe someone who utilizes their position of power and influence to protect 
a known pedophile who sexually abused hundreds of children, and he used his position of power for him to escape justice. In my view, you're as culpable as the one that was doing it. And he is not a good person. He is evil. And I don't believe, and I do believe evil exists on this earth. And I believe he is an element of evil on this earth. And so, yeah, did I make a lot of people mad when I said that in that book? Probably, because they took it personal. But they shouldn't have, because it has nothing to do with them. In the book, you do also explain the power he has, the cardinal in the Dominican Republic, that even though he's not a government official, he, right. you know, what is it? Is it 90% of the population is Roman Catholic? Eighty-five, yeah, yeah. it's probably eighty-five now. Eighty-five percent. So not just that influence, but then basically, in in other words, not just the influence of the population through you know his public position, but all the stuff, the the influence he would have behind closed doors with the government, with the president, with you finding out that uh, you were being excluded from something or not invited to something because you know there was stuff going on back there him putting pressure on the, the government, which, you know, may not have had any issue with uh, the two of you. Yeah, I mean, you know, it is a, a country that does not have separation of church and state. So that's why it's very, very important that we continue to fight in this democracy in the United States to separate the two because they do not go well together in a democracy. So we have to keep that going. I think what really was our advantage, mm-hmm. uh, being the fo- first uh, gay couple in the Americas to serve in the position, is that, as Bob said, you can't rock our faith, and you can't rock our pride of being who we are. And so I will never give him any credit, but we talk about, you know, talk about elevating tough conversations. President Obama had not put us there, and we had not gone as a couple this conversation that changed a country and changed a lot of other people's lives, including ours, would have never happened. But it forced a country to have a conversation. And his power was so strong because of that non-separation of church and state. Mm-hmm. And because he had been there for so many decades, that his power around the government and around communities was so great that all of a sudden the U.S., who is 40 percent of the GDP, a thousand person embassy, um, you know, you're a a huge force there, all of a sudden this position is a gay couple. And so there's a balance all of a sudden, and he's never had anybody challenge that balance. And so our decision was not to address him publicly, but I also was very clear that I would never be in the same room with him. Mm. And so they would always take photos of me where I was supposed to be at official events in the Catholic Church with Ambassador Brewster's name there, but me not being there. Mm. People got used to it after a while. Hmm. Well, speaking of President Obama, um, you know, it's such a, an extraordinary story in your just the road that you took to get there and then you got there and then the confidence you had. Um, and just by being yourselves and being out and refusing to be treated any different in a country like the Dominican Republic. But I think that there's a lot to be said about what I miss most, which with the Obama administration, there came uh, many folks who were so pro and supportive of LGBTQ people. So, for example, in the book, you give some clear examples of how not only just President Obama, but Vice President Joe Biden, Valerie Jarrett. I mean, some calls Susan had to Rice. be made. Susan Rice, you know, some calls had to be made about some of the homophobia that was impacting you while you know serving. Um, Share some examples of just how incredible the administration was in treating, you know, and staying strong and staying behind LGBTQ people, because I think that, well, we won't talk about this administration, but any other administration clearly, you know, could be like, yeah, the heat's on too bad. Let's just choose somebody else or pull these guys out. You know, I think that that was amazing thing. Um, I know you were speaking about when the nuncio, who is the diplomatic representative of the Vatican, um, immediately at our welcome reception, took me aside and said, Bob would not be welcome to um, the event with the president and the first lady because he is not an official spouse under Dominican law. 
uh, but all the other spouses of diplomats would be welcome. And I said, well, we won't be, we just won't be coming uh, as a U.S. and normal U.S. representatives. And he got all flustered. But I picked up the phone and called Valerie Jarrett and said, Valerie, I don't really even know yet what the diplomatic corps is, but I'm resigning. <laughs> so is that okay? And her comment, I still remember vividly. And she said, you know what? Uh, you're our guys. We sent you all there to do a job. You had our backs when we needed it. And we have your back, so do what you need to do. And so I think that was something that gave me the strength and Bob the strength. But it continued. Samantha Powers was constantly at the UN fighting. Our ambassador at the Holy See was there. But uh, I give great credit to Vice President Biden. And the reason I say that is he uh, did our swearing in and he said, you know, the country's getting two for one, which, as you said, either one of us could have been the ambassador. And Vice President Biden, even though they were in the middle of the Middle East controversy uh, and wasn't able to come with Dr. Biden the first trip they had planned, he, in the middle of all of it, made sure he came uh, to defend us and was there in the Dominican Republic with us. And then Dr. Biden came a few months later with her um, with her daughter, and um, they were there uh, behind us. And I would go to Washington, and he actually went to the Vatican as well to defend us. So we had all of these people that they were dealing with other great things in the world, but they were making sure that every day that we knew we had the support. And you see Speaker Pelosi and others that uh, started hashtag I'm with Wally. And uh, we had multiple of the congressional members of Congress that got on their their Twitter and their Facebook feeds. And Bob had uh, really pushed that forward and said, I'm with Wally. And uh, so we had multiple conversations. And then Secretary Kerry, of course, came down as well. So. And I think it's important to reflect that this was not the sentiment of the general population no, not at all. of the Dominican Republic, nor was it the sentiment of the leadership of the government in the country either. They were equally and collectively embracing, supportive, um, worked uh, collaboratively with the embassy and with my husband on m- multiple um uh, uh, initiatives of the bilateral agreement that that brought yeah. our countries closer together. And we will always reflect on that as beautiful progress. It was for, an amazing relationship so with the government, yeah. Despite this minutia of noise that was going on around us, um, it was just a lot of noise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I want to share that just quickly because I think that's what we want people to really know is that really what people um, now think of us as is the guys that really fought for human rights, but fought against corruption uh, and fought against uh, sex trafficking and the abuse of women and young girls. But our biggest initiative was working on the border issues with the Haitian migrants that came across that at that time were deemed, in many's uh, opinion, stateless. Uh, and that was 300,000. And so we're credited with working closely with President Medina and his administration to really make uh, and put a structure around that. So um, the relationships with the business community and in and, and general, as Bob is saying, with the government was always tremendous and it continues to be. And we had great respect. And hopefully that's uh, we continue. We'll, we'll mm-hmm. continue to do that. That's right. Yeah. Now, I've been learning a lot about what ambassadors do and how foreign policy is conducted <laughs> And I just need to know, how often did President Barack Obama contact you, ask you to help him dig up dirt on Joe Biden? Because <laughs> that, that's apparently oh, a no. common thing. Exactly, right? exactly. Well, as, as I always tell people, no matter how close you are to President Obama uh, at the time, you're not going to pick up the phone and call him. Uh, you know, there's many other channels to get to the answer that you need. And uh, as I mentioned, Valerie Jarrett was mine. Yep. Uh, but yes, no, 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 no <laughs> digging up dirt on anybody. Never did I have a call. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, I I love that the book is from Bob's perspective as the spouse of an ambassador. I mean, a lot of people think I think we know, you know, what the what it's like to be the spouse of one, but we don't really actually know now. So I appreciate you sharing just some details. Um, for example, you're not allowed to work work, <laughs> and you, in a lot of times when you're out there doing public services on your own dime, your own time. Um, not only that, on top of that, as a gay spouse, I, I mean, from the smallest things, like not even being able to enter a, a building with a proper ID or yeah. 
I mean, these all these these small experiences, you know, they definitely ought to be shared in um, changing the experience, the protocol, the policies. <laughs> love, love the yeah, uh, I'll, I'll say this: my my experiences as a spouse of a sitting U.S. ambassador in any foreign <laughs> land was not entirely unique because I was gay. Many, many things I experienced were simply just because I was the spouse. And those applied to many of my fellow colleagues around the world. Um, you know, we everybody has their little ways of communicating. You have your little WhatsApp chat groups or you have your little Facebook clubs or whatever those are. You know, we had our little spouse club of ambassadors. Um, and... Many of the frustrations that I experienced as a spouse of a chief of mission was equally experienced globally, whether it was a man or a woman, heterosexual or gay, it, it didn't matter. They they all experienced a lot of the very same things and went through very much the same thing I did. Uh, the good news is we all had each other to air our frustrations with because you couldn't air those frustrations publicly. Mm -hmm. It would have been completely inappropriate. And those were some protocols I refused to break. Um, with that said, I think the, there were, uh, there were people. No, first of all, first and foremost, the state department was ill prepared on any level. And still to this day, probably more so is ill prepared to deal with chief of mission spouses, period. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, gay, straight. It doesn't matter. They're ill-prepared to deal with it. The, the rules and the policies that they apply are archaic. Most of them stem from the 1940s and 50s, and they, were, they are marginalizing to women, and they certainly are marginalizing to male spouses, whether gay or straight. This is something that has to change. It absolutely must change. You can't expect in a modern world to have a couple uproot their lives, move to a foreign land, and then isolate one member of that couple. That is just not, it's just not possible and have an effective foreign policy. Yeah. So, um, so I just want to be clear, I'm not unique in, in many mm. ways. On the gay stuff, um, I don't know. I mean, I look, I, I look back on it and I, and I will say this, I've, I've said it in every interview I've ever done. I wouldn't change one minute of it. Every single experience I had, I grew from, I had, I had a growth opportunity. Um, it wasn't necessarily always character building, but I did my best to, to try to get something out of it because I knew that the experience itself was like so incredibly unique and would never, ever happen again. So, um, it wouldn't, I don't know, because we have a brand new administration. I didn't think this administration would have it. Yeah. What I'm getting to is, I mean, you never, you, you, to your point, you couldn't be out there publicly screaming at folks who routinely, um, uh, you know, dis, disinvited is not the, the right word, but left you out or didn't really want to refer to you as, you know, husband or didn't want to believe that the United States ambassador even had a husband. And, and I remember recalling, you know, a part of your book in which it was like, no, the security guard yeah. wouldn't even let you in the door because he didn't believe that, you know, ambassador yeah, Wally Brewster has a husband. He has a husband. He doesn't have a husband. How do we verify he has a husband? We have to verify somebody who has, he, does he really have a husband? Don't, didn't you get tired of that? Didn't you, you know, what'd you do? Did you have a, so a boxing so, bag at home? So, <laughs> and, and, so in that part of the book, when I write about that, I think it's fair to say that, and I, and I tried to be fair to that security staff, that it was not his fault for what he was doing. He was not trained. He was not exposed. He was ill-prepared by his uh, those that were his, you know, uh, uh, supervisors to understand the culture that had been, that was immediately changing in front of him. Now, was it no less frustrating because of that? Of course not. But it was extremely important to know that I did not ever feel he was intentionally persecuting me mm. in some way or marginalizing me in some way. Um, 
even when you were literally forced to go outside the gate, stand in, in the street <laughs> without your ID or wallet. <laughs> right. That is correct. I, I don't think he was, I think he thought what he was doing was what he was trained to do. Mm-hmm. I do believe that. Uh, and, and so therefore it was never about, it was never about that security guard. It was about now, let there be no mistake, the regional security officer and I had a really nice conversation <clears throat> after that, eventually. Um, I'm sure he had a conversation with my husband first, and then yeah. ultimately <laughs> I well, did. Bob it. had the conversation with me quickly, and then I, of course, had the conversation with everybody, and his photo went up yeah. quickly in all the security um, uh, uh, places. Yes, I, I think I think what I think I feel there was a benefit to my life experience that I tried to relate through the book, and that is that. And I'm going to try to simplify it here. And if I offend somebody, I'm sorry. But, you know, I'd been called a faggot since third grade. I mean, calling me a name, like really, like we we are grown adults here in an international community. Is Is this really what we're going to go with? This is what we're going to do? Because if that's the game you want to play, I can outplay you on that. On that level, I can outplay you. And there are several examples of that you two did, and yeah. and that, that that I would have to say that um, you know Wally's unwavering support to you as as husband uh, came across in the book, and definitely made me teared at times because I, I you know look l- listen I, there's many of us as LGBTQ folks um, a lot of people who came before my time who served for the United States in you know, politically who didn't come out, who were afraid to come out. And in fact, kept their relationships closeted Mm -hmm. and and, uh, more than likely even um, were complicit and contributed to the harm that impacted our community. And it was easier to take that route than it was to to be out. So we'd love to hear from you, Wally. I mean, you know, you just didn't back down. I mean, if they didn't invite him, you didn't go. Uh, or if they treated him uh, wrongly, you you, you made a point to speak up, speak out. Well, I think, once again, I had a huge advantage. Um, One, like I said, we had been together as a couple for so long, and so Bob was as as much of an important part of the ambassadorship and our diplomacy as as I was. So us being there, we were equals. So that was the first thing. Second thing is I had the backing of of President Obama and the American people. Um, That's our values, and that's who I knew we were representing, and I knew they had our backs. Um, third is we're a big power in that country, but I also think coming as good people and we knew we were working on things that were important, not just to the United States, but also impacted the Dominican people. We were respectful to the government and to the people. People, I think, liked us, generally, you know, thought that this is this is United States representatives we really enjoy having. And I think, um you know, as the First Lady of the Dominican Republic told me once, this is the right time for our country uh, for you to be here. And we saw the support come from all different aspects of Dominican life, as well as out of the United States. So I think from that perspective, it was it was easy for me because the idea that Bob and I wouldn't be doing it together, if he wasn't going to go and wasn't going to be invited, that's fine. But it was a big deal if the United States didn't show up. So we were embraced in a way that if we would have been a small country mm. that didn't have much impact in the country and representing, it might have been a totally different story. Um, so, but, the, but being the United States ambassador, specifically in a country um, that has such great respect for the U.S. and such a great relationship, and then us um, doing what's right, and that's just being a, a couple. Um, yeah. And I might, add, I might add, the United States ambassador that represented a president that the world loved. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. exactly. I was going to add that at the conclusion so we walked out of here and been like, we just loved him so much. John? Um, not a lot of uh, openly gay LGBTQ uh, ambassadors from the U.S. have been around, though even the Trump administration has a few. Um, but what are there other countries that have been maybe earlier or more successful at at uh, having uh, openly out ambassadors. And, and what I'm getting at is, 
did you know any of them? Did you ask advice to any of them or give advice to any new ones who were coming along? No, I think, you know, there was five of us at the time and we were all friends that President Obama appointed mm-hmm. all at the same time. And as we had mentioned, there had only been three in the history and then one serving uh, in New Zealand at the time. So actually four in the past. So we all of a sudden doubled. And so we would talk to each other. I think we were the only ones, though, in the Western Hemisphere, and we were in a Latin country. So yeah. with the exception of James Costas in Spain, which, you know, uh, Spain is much more progressive, um, we were in a very unique situation. So I think what really helped us, you know, are um, a lot of the people in the United States that were there for us. You know, uh, Frank sitting here, HRC, was there. We had a lot of support from Congress. We had a, sub- a lot of support from Judy and Dennis Shepard, who came. Yeah. Uh, as Bob put on uh, programs like that. So that's really where we found it. Um, but as far as the Vatican, for example, you know, France has tried twice to put an openly gay ambassador at the Vatican. They've denied it both times, but there are countries there. You know, we see prime ministers uh, in, in Ireland and and um, other countries now that are openly gay. So I think we knew they were there, but we didn't have the relationships at the time. We began to get to know some of them, but uh, at the time, no. I could sit here and speak with you both for another hour. Unfortunately, I don't have that whole hour, but I will hit you up, um, you know, for some personal time. Uh, It's now time for the audience to ask questions. And so we'll take them. If you have questions for both Bob and Wally, there's a mic. Please speak into it as it's a taping. Thank you very much. Um, It's interesting to hear your perspective. I hadn't read anything except the Commonwealth Club blurb before I came. So I assumed you were Foreign Service. So I, I know that there are many gay people working in the Foreign Service, um, and I wondered if you came across them um, or had gained from their experience or were able to help them. That's one question. Mm-hmm. Since you're a political appointee, I now learn. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, only. Um, and the other question I had is um, Mayor Pete. If mm-hmm. he were on the ticket in one position or the other, do you think that he could um, get across to the public in a way that would make him part a, a positive contribution to the ticket, as he certainly is in terms of his views and his experience at this point in our history in the U.S.? Mm-hmm. Thank you. you know, I think that what we learned um, in both situations, the answer to the first part is that there is a strong LGBTQ group within the State Department. And uh, that has there's also the same with women that have been really promoting the diversity and the upper ranks, which has traditionally not been there. Um, So they are both working really strong. And and we did work with them Um, when it comes to uh, your second question about the current presidential race. You know, I'm hoping that the reason that uh, Mayor Pete is getting um, the recognition that he is is because people aren't thinking of him as being the gay candidate. They're thinking of him as being a really strong, bright, brilliant young man that is a good leader and that has the right uh, uh, message for the people that are supporting him right now. And so I, I, I think that hopefully we're at a place in our country where we're beginning not to think about sexual orientation or gender or any other uh, religious issues as well when we look at who might be the leader of our country. So I do think that, um, you know, we have a lot of candidates out there right now that are running on the Democratic side. And I think there's uh, many of them that uh, I think have different uh, viewpoints. But I think he, as well as any of them, could be really good at either uh, the top or the second. Yes. Sir. Um, thank you. Um, in a half an hour that I had the chance to look at the book. Uh, yeah, Thank you. Uh, in half an hour that I had the chance to look at the book, uh, the key chapter that attracted me most is the breaking protocol. The two really a statement, if boundaries were never pushed, change would never happen. It is the change that allows us to grow and experience life. And the second one, which is more important for me, is the State Department community is overrun by protocol, with protocol. So much so that it interferes with the ability of, for normal human communication. Hmm. The reason that I sort of decided to read this to you is that I was born in Iran, in northern Iran. And I was very unhappy 
about the role of United States plainly. There was no chance for the public to have an audience with the ambassador of the country. I approached my mother and said that, could we really call embassy and we want, I want to talk to them. I don't like the dictatorship that's running Iran mm -hmm. at that time. My mother said, shut up. You will be arrested even if you ask this question. Mm -hmm. okay. So how open were you actually to the public of, of, of their country? Mm -hmm. Were they able to approach you without any interference? And obviously, they have their own limitation. But sure. I mean, that is the dynamics that I'm looking for in the future. Absolutely. The, the protocol needs to change. Yes. I know that you are represent, we, ambassador representing the United States government. But then what if the people are not happy with, the, with their own government? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great question. It's a great question. I think that um, obviously... Uh, the objectives of the Obama administration were one that, that we did embrace uh, in the United States. And I think as we went to the Dominican Republic, you mentioned something that's very critical. I think the reason we had such great success and are so well respected is because people say we always saw the, um, the motorcade go by and we knew it was the U.S. ambassador. and We might see him or her in a restaurant, but that was it. And Bob and I were at, as Bob said, the, the opening of a stamp book. We were everywhere. I would stand as Bob would and shake hands and take photos. We were, Bob was in the batets, um, which are the sugar um, uh, areas of, of where the poor live there. Um, we were trying to be in every possible place because we knew in order for people to accept us, they had to know us as individuals. And so we were highly, I mean, we made sure we were out there. And the same as inviting people to our home during public events. Um, Bob was very clear that the trans community, that the people of socioeconomic uh, uh, disparative uh, wealth compared to the ones that always got invited, were invited to the residence at the July 4th party. Those were the things uh, that we made. First time we, that the gay community leaders had ever been invited to the residence of the U.S. ambassador. So those are the things that we tried to do to make sure is what you were saying, sir, um, that we were, we were really listening to the people, and, uh, but also we were representing the United States, showing that we are inclusive and we embrace every type of person, not just the wealthy. It was also, <clears throat> even on some level, simpler than that. Um, you know, there were times that I would say to Wally, um, you know, let's, let's just go to the grocery store today. Mm. Um, and I know that sounds ridiculous, but I can assure you that previous ambassadors didn't do their own grocery shopping. No. Yeah. And, um, or go sit at baseball games. Or we go to baseball games. Uh, but literally, I remember we'd be walking up and down the aisle in the grocery store. I mean, like, that's what you do. You, you're yeah. human. You buy your own groceries, right? And we'd be walking up and down the and people would just literally slip out mm -hmm. that he was in the grocery store. Now, it, we didn't do it a lot. I'm going to be really honest with you because we had a very large security team and it was disruptive. But <laughs> some people here were yeah. visited us while we were there and they yeah. understand that. It was disruptive, but it was something that still said, you know what, they're just people that do everything just like we do. And we actually physically experienced that. We, the other thing we did that no other ambassador ever did, and um, Wally did more than me, is he never denied taking a picture with somebody. And there, it has to be over 100,000 photographs that were taken over the course of that three and a half years. It was... It, it was always, I mean, we would be late for everything because until everybody in the place got a picture, he wouldn't leave if they wanted one. And they did. They did because they found out, oh, they're human beings. They're accessible. And that changed the image of who we were also as LGBT people. Well, first of all, uh, Sam and I are excited to have Bob and Wally here in San Francisco and, uh, we were 
honor for you guys to invite us and, you know, to experience the Dominican Republic. But the most amazing thing, it was seeing how much people in Dominican Republic love you guys. I mean, it, it was it was an experience that I cannot tell you. It was just an amazing experience just, just seeing the poor. And you're talking about photos. I mean, we will be, you know, at the beach and people want photos with you. I mean, you guys brought so much love to that country. And even following you guys on social media and seeing the love, the messages that people in the Dominican Republic leave you, they wish they want you guys back. They didn't want you guys to leave. And uh, but being said that, I would like to ask each of you guys, what was your best experience being at the Dominican Republic on this post? Your most memorable experience during the during the uh, during the time when my husband was the ambassador um, you know it's it's really difficult to say that there was one specific thing that stood out I think because we're all validated in so many different ways in life and it was like uh, for me, almost every single day there was someone that turned to me and extended their hand of support. Uh, and, and there's, there was no greater or less importance on any of those people. So, um, you know, I, I honestly, I don't know that there's, there was one thing that was, um, I think they're all in the book. Yeah. Breaking protocol. Go yeah, on with yeah. it. Now, to, now I know yeah, the, the friends. Know. Yeah. yeah, you had lots of memorable memories in there. Of course, yeah. you wrote them yeah. all down. I but think, I, um, I, now I know which friends visited you and which they shut the old town because you took yeah, a train ride. Exactly, exactly. And uh, and you were mortified. Yeah, the ambassador no. was mortified that they would just shut the town down. For, no, it for, was yeah. it was interesting. Oh, that was a fun. <laughs> that was a fun experience. I think you know mine was um, probably when. I was calling around because Pride was coming up, and it was June, um, and I was determined to, uh, Bob and I talked about, to raise a flag above our residence, and oh, I could yeah. not find a rainbow flag. And I think, I might have even called you, Frank, I don't know, I was, calling, I was calling everybody in the United States, I need a rainbow flag. All we had was a little bitty one, and this huge American flag <laughs> in front of our residence. <laughs> and the media came in after, in July 4th, for our big party there, and it was still up because of Idaho. And the idea that it went on the front page of the paper to such great controversy, I'll fast forward to now. Um, we were the first uh, ever to support the Pride Parade um, as a diplomat, and we brought the European diplomats with us after that, and then others started joining to this year when they have a in the Pride Parade, there's actually a bus of diplomats uh, that are there, but also they raise their flags. Now, above all the embassies of the European unions, uh, the uh, pride flag is raised above all there. And the U.S. embassy, I lit up in rainbow colors now, so it's lit up every year. So I think that was my greatest experience. It wasn't because of as much gay, but it was because of the acceptance that no longer is it front page controversy. The paper is not even talked about. Great. We have another question right here. All right. Sorry to revert to something less less happy, but um, as you have, as you are insiders in the world of diplomacy, I'd be very interested in knowing your views on the recall in the spring of the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine and mm -hmm. the confirmation hearings of her replacement. Yes. Thanks. You want to start? Sure. Um, interesting you asked that question because there's nothing about that in the book. Um, <laughs> I say that not, not tongue in cheek. I say this in all seriousness, I so I was in the Ukraine in March, and I was in the Ukraine in April. I was there for both the primary election of the president and the runoff election that elected President Zelensky. And while I was there for the second round of voting that elected President Zelensky <clears throat> is when uh, the son of the current president made his comments about uh, Ambassador Yovanovitch. And I actually was at a meeting with her and was speaking with her just a couple of days after that comment had been made. Um, 
I won't pretend to speak for Ambassador Yovanovitch, but there was no doubt in my mind at the time that through my conversation with her, and this is, again, I'm not speaking for her in any way. I want to be, be very clear here. My intuition told me there was something far bigger happening than anything that I could ever know at that moment. Um, obviously, six months later, we all know that something really big was going on. I haven't seen her testimony of the timeline of when she knew about certain things. Obviously, she knew certain things were happening. I can speak to this. I know that if Rudy Giuliani had been in the Dominican Republic while my husband was the ambassador playing those games, that my husband definitely would have known about it. Yeah. There's no way he would have not known about that. So I don't know how she could have not known about that at the time either. I think what this administration has done to her personally and what they have done to the State Department as a whole has been a bastardization of our foreign policy that it will take decades for us to recover from. This will not be fixed with the new administration. Mm. And, and this is something that has severely impacted the stability of democracy on a global scale. Yeah. And I will say, um, Ambassador Yovanovitch, um, I got to know all of the ambassadors. I never knew her that well, obviously. Um, but I will tell you, by someone who is a career, there's the, the, the career ambassadors and the political appointed ambassadors. And I think all have their great strengths. But especially in the career level, when someone gets to that level, I never met one that was not brilliant at what they do. They represented our country with the greatest respect and authority. And to be recalled, I can't imagine there would be a good excuse or any reason to recall her from that post. She was doing what she was supposed to do. And as Bob said, the ambassador, most people don't realize, the only people that rank above you in your country is the president of the United States and the vice president of the United States. When they come there, you have a higher rank than the secretary of state uh, in your country. And so she had full authority to do the things that she was doing, knowing it was the right thing for our foreign policy. So she should not have been recalled for any reason that I have heard uh, yet, other than obviously the reasons that they're investigating. I'm not realizing we probably should have spent the entire hour talking about the state of our <laughs> current <laughs> political affairs. We're uh, happy but, to come back, yeah, Michelle. Yeah, time. you're going to have to come back. Because uh, I mean, one of my questions was, uh, you know, like you, the, this president didn't even give you the option to continue your service. You were like, he was like, you're done. You're out. All of them. All of you yeah. out. I'm installing. You, you were asked to come back. Um, but we've run out of time. So I'm super sad. I'm sure John had a ton of, no of questions, other questions. <laughs> I know. Another holiday when you come back. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe not Halloween. Uh, something much more spookier. No. Just kidding. exactly. If exactly, there is one. But, but I, I was trying to end on a on a on a on a better note. I, I think they'll give us another minute. I could see security kind of hovering around. Um, <laughs> but if you can, I guess I guess the last thing we could ask all of us today, yes. but you'll answer for us, is just how important it is to take back our country in 2020. Although, yes, uh, the damage has been done for decades, I still have a lot of hope, especially with leaders like House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, mm -hmm. who, uh, you know, has not only taught me that you, there is such a thing as being politically savvy, and then there's such thing as doing the right thing and being a, a, a human being who stands for the people of this country. Absolutely. I, you know, I think it one, the reason voting is so important, and we spoke about that with our friends who just moved back from Hong Kong. When you're living in another country, you realize how blessed we are to live in the United States and how fragile those democracies can be if you get the wrong people in power for too long and your judicial system and your other systems begin to break down. So for us, we have to keep those strong. We have to keep supporting uh, Speaker Pelosi and others who are out there, just making sure that we know the facts and making sure that the things move forward in the way that our Constitution is created. But also, I think, um, and we were blessed just to meet 
uh, two people that were in uh, the Dominican Republic that met there uh, in the Peace Corps in the early 70s. But I think we were we were speaking about that, and it's very, very important that we uh, we have lost a lot of the respect around the world. And the reason that we have the relationships with the allies we do is because um, they came through the foreign visitors programs when they were young to the United States, and now they're presidents of countries. They um, grew up in small towns where USAID and others supported it. So, you know, we have to make sure we continue those things. Bob? No, I see that gentleman's running <laughs> us out of here. Yeah. Bob's ready to go to the caster. No, no, no. Okay. Pay no, no attention to the man behind the curtain. Okay, yeah. let me just, let me leave you all with this. And it's, I leave, I, I try to leave this with every, uh, I tried to extend this message on my book and leave this statement with all of you. Your, your life's legacy is not what you do and what you create for yourself on this earth. Your life's legacy is your extension of your hand to make life better for others. So that is what this book is all about. I had so many people in my life that extended a generous hand at times when I needed it. So don't ever fail to extend your hand when you have an opportunity to do so. God bless you all. Yeah, thank you for having us. I will sign everyone's book if I have to go outside and do it. Yeah, Bob Sidewick is going to sign your books. Please leave with a book if you don't have one. It's, it's, It's incredible, and it's definitely one book that you should share with everyone else. Before you walk out and rush to get a signature on your book, though, I do want to let you know, since Bob has served on the board for Victory Fund, we are having Mayor Anise Parker here with us November. Sorry, John, you know the dates. November 20? November Oh, 20th or 21st. It, it's at, at commonwealthclub.org slash MMS. She'll be here. We're going to talk about what's important for LGBTQ voters. This is a very important topic, as I'm now finding out. One of five, according <laughs> to a survey of LGBTQ adults, are registered to vote. We need to do something uh, about that, as there's an election coming up. And uh, much more great programming. Again, head to commonwealthclub.org slash MMS. I hope to see you next time. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for the Michelle Miao Show, your A through Z covering the LGBT, LM, NOP, and everyone in between. We're here every Thursday live at the Commonwealth Club, and you can listen to past shows at commonwealthclub.org slash MMS.